Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. Welcome once again to the Senior Center Writers Hour. Today, our scribblers are gathered together once more to celebrate the holidays with us and to welcome in the new year. I'm Peter Jay, and with me today are Steve Sherlock, Dave Clarity, Alex Judge, I'm Bill Wiley, Pat Miniarski, I'm Joe Ewald. Excellent. We're all in our places with bright, shiny faces and ready to tell our stories. <laughs> Even Pat has a face. <laughs> That's right. We get to see each other on Zoom this time. That's right. We, we, we're all large and in charge and visible. And so that said, Steve. Yes, sir. How shall we commence today? Ooh, we got to begin at the beginning. Question is, who goes first? Like the Mad Hatter said, start at the beginning, and when you get to the end, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one to start. This is not a Christmas holiday one, but it's a holiday one. So it takes place many years ago on Mother's Day, and I think you'll catch the gist of the story. One Mother's Day, many years ago, when the kids were old enough to do Fun stuff, like going shopping for Mother's Day. They skipped out of the house with me. She likes chocolate. We need to get her this. Browsing in the Hallmark store for the right card, crouching down to read the contents to them. They picked the big ones, the colorful ones, and then the one. Here, that's just like we did on the answering machine. Bright kids, these kids of ours. We had just moved from New Jersey to Massachusetts, and we got a new answering machine to record our message. The kids took turns to record the message. It took practice, but it was fun recording, easy enough to delete and start over. Oh, but let's keep that one with the giggles. They'll know it's us. <laughs> After many tries, we did successfully get one with their voices. You have reached the Sherlock family. We can't take your call right now. Please leave a message. Of course, they added their beeps before the machine did its thing. That was okay. So this was going to be easy. Just push the button on the card and record our Mother's Day message. Push this other button to re-record. They had the concept down. But we only had 10 seconds. Yes, just 10. This was not like the answering machine where time was seemingly endless, where we could talk and talk. 10 seconds. How long is that for a six-year-old and a four-year-old? Endless, but not long enough. We need to play some music. She'll like that. Okay. Now, how much are we going to put into this message, kids? So we talked about what we would say. We tried it out, didn't even get past the giggles before they ran out of time the first time through. We started laughing so hard it almost didn't matter. We tried again, got a couple of words in that time. But I didn't get to say my part. That's okay, <laughs> we need to practice some more. We did finally get the message down and eventually agree on the music to add at the end. Yes, the music had to be there. Fortunately, the tape deck was pretty good to handle the cassette tape. Remember them? We picked out the section of one of our favorite tapes we wanted to use. 
It was from Mary Chapin's Come On, Come On album. And the song we wanted to use a piece of was Passionate Kisses. We queued it up and had it ready to go. If I say, and then Carolyn says, you get to say the kissy part. It, it went something like that. The recording came out very nicely, all tidied up, finally to fit in exactly 10 seconds, including Mary singing her couple of words, passionate kisses. She sang them so much better than I could ever sing them. I was into the doing part, but that's another posting. The day came, the card was a big hit. Dolores played it over several times. Helped by each of the girls, of course. They had to show her how it was done. Cool technology. And then, of course, they had to take it to her mother's house so grandma and all the cousins and relatives could see it. The little microchip amazed the whole family with 10 seconds of history. That's all it is now. History. You see... The story was for retelling at another gathering. The story is captured here for a different kind of digital memory. Later that day at Grandma's, one of the cousins wanted to see how it really worked and found the record button. And just like that, the voices, the recording, all gone. But gone. Purely unintentional. Gone nonetheless. The girls are grown up now. Allison out in her world. Carolyn, a mother of her own little one. Young ladies making their mark in the world. A lasting one. But in many ways, they already have. Like the recording, Once Upon a Time for Mother's Day, that is living in memory. Hey. Wonderful. So a simple reminder, if we gather around the holidays record something like we are doing here (laughs) with the Mm -hmm. other family members and record and save that for posteriority. Yeah, absolutely. That's a nice story to remember. Okay. Can I go next? Sure. Go for it. Although it was a beautiful Christmas tree, tiny white lights sparkled between bright colored balls and various decorations. Susie, the elf on the shelf was happy. She was sitting comfortably between books more or less in the shadows of the top shelf. The atmosphere was festive with jingle bells and music in the background. Yes, for sure, the holidays had begun. The children ran around excitedly, sometimes running over furniture and pushing each other until they caught sight of Susie or Moshi, the mensch on the bench. Then the children walked gently, talked politely, and acted more like the little angels are supposed to act. Moshi winked at Susie. Moshi is a mensch, which means he's a nice guy. And he's sweet, but his unkempt beard was a turn off to Susie. She hated facial hair. She preferred a clean cut look, much like Stanley, who lived in the book of the, on the bottom shelf of Susie's bookcase. Even though Stanley was flat, okay, extremely flat. Susie was infatuated with him. Of course he was flat, he lived in a book, but he was handsome, literate, and well-traveled. Susie knew all this because her vocation was to listen and observe. 
She was an expert on not only her family's lives, but also on the lives of all the characters in the books in the bookcase and the children's stuffed animals and dolls. This was her world. Moshe's a good listener too. He's good at everything because, well, just because he's a good guy, a mensch. He sits under the menorah on a bench and watches and listens. You should see his eyebrows go up when the children get rowdy. And when the children remember that Susie and Moshe are watching and listening, they immediately quiet and behave better. When the children quiet down, Moshe winks at Susie. This is what Susie doesn't like. That wink is too familiar. She doesn't want to be rude to the mensch, but she doesn't want to give him the impression that she wants to have more than a working relationship with him. Why can't Stanley wink at her? Flat Stanley lives in the children's book, Flat Stanley by Jeff Brown. The idea of Stanley traveling the globe to promote reading, writing, and goodwill was the idea of Dale Herbert. Children mail Stanley to relatives and friends and ask them to take a picture with Stanley, write a letter, and send them back. Stanley tells the most interesting stories of places he has visited and the friends he has met. I'd introduce you to him, but oh, he's traveling again. And so the holiday festivities continued with the children dancing around Susie and Moshe. Hanukkah and Christmas came and went. Susie had hoped Stanley would have come back for the holidays, but he didn't. He must have been delayed. You know, the mail around the holidays is notoriously slow. Then came the day when the father was reading the newspaper and he read some devastating news. He told the family to gather around and listen while he read an obituary. Flat Stanley died suddenly after hiking the Warner Trail in Rentham, Massachusetts. He was born in a book by Jeff Brown and was a proud friend to all and enjoyed being mailed all around the globe. He will be missed by everyone, especially by young readers in the first grade. A funeral mass was held at St. Mary's. His internment will be private. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to the literary project. Susie was distraught. She fell off the shelf. No one noticed. The children took the opportunity to express the wish that they wanted the sequel to the book, Flat Stanley. Pancake Patty as a Hanukkah or Christmas gift. Moshe, ever the mensch, was already making room on the bench for a new book. Susie was on the floor, having been pulled off the shelf by a heavy heart. Moshe's heart went out to Susie, and when all was quiet, he went over to Susie and helped her up to his bench. And that's how the family found them in the morning. Susie's head was resting on Moshe's shoulder, and his arm was around her. They make the perfect couple. Oh, wow. That's mm -hmm. a great imagination. Oh, that's wonderful. Love it. Well, we talked about it briefly in our last get together, and she rose to the challenge in space. <laughs> yes. Back when we were talking about character development, and I, I had, I had, put out the challenge of combining <laughs> Flat Stanley and and the Mensch on the Bench, and of course the Elf on the Shelf. And once again, 
a cameo by Pancake Patty. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you, Pete, said that we, we should have changed it to Corrugated Carol. Corrugated, right. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So that was a great run. I love the combination of everybody. Yeah. While we're talking about character development, I think this is a good place for me to jump in based on some of our past discussions. Well, first of all, I got a couple of pieces, uh, shorties to read. I'll do one of them now. When we were talking about character development in some of our weekly meetings that a lot of people don't get to hear on the radio, uh, I had introduced a character called Skylar Wingham. Skylar is a student of life, fairly simple, and uh, lives in a place called Rising Run. Skylar is what I would call the unassuming hero of the book. He ends up being the force that sort of runs through the larger story arc. And so I can get you to understand Skylar a little bit by reading this uh, short passage. Now, Rising Run uh, is a place that's sort of out in the middle of nowhere. There's no zip code. There's no nothing. It's the kind of place where it says, having a great time. Wish you were here with fresh supplies. (laughs) (laughs) There's no real government, or at least it's not very visible to the sparsely scattered residents of the area. So Skylar has a chapter entitled Our Very Own Constitution by Skylar. The Constitution, that's a decoration of independence, right? Thinking about it, I kind of like Skylar's interpretation better. Yeah, it is, Skyman, and a plenty special one at that. There is also a special declaration of independence. Skylar handed me a brown paper bag. Tried to make one up special for us, but I don't know the fancy law words. I wrote this down on a big plenty pantry bag because it's mostly like the old paper the real constitution's on. How can I make it better? And it read, whereas we all like it here, our old folks and their old folks liked it here and made it plenty special for us. We want our kids and their kids to like it here too. Smile about good things so they last longer. Tend to the fixing of other things and other folks when you can. Try to help out where you can. Be nice. We all promise we will do that. Signed, Skylar Wingham. I sat for a moment at the table, looked it over, and I didn't say anything at first. Then I said, Skyman, is it okay if I sign it too? Sure, but what about making the words more law fancy? I said, it's plenty fancy enough, so long as it's honest. Instead of making it fancy, how about we just go ahead and make it a fact? I put pen to the paper bag and I handed it back. I suggested Skylar pin it up on the bulletin board at Miss Dory's diner so folks could read it. A couple of days later, there was a second plenty pantry bag stapled on underneath. Skylar's original proclamation, both bags were filled with signatures. Schuyler's constitution didn't have any fancy law words, but they were there. So as it is written, with or without the fancy law words, so let it be done. So who would like to pick up the gauntlet, continue on? Uh, Want me to go? Go, Bill. Okay. I I named this after a phrase I I told a couple of lady friends. I called it, uh, I could take a thousand pictures and never capture your beauty. (laughs) 
Oh, what a line. Yeah. That's a good pickup line, Jeff. I had to work it into a poem. <laughs> I gazed at your beauty. You are such a cutie. I could take a thousand photos and never capture your beauty. The woman I love, the woman I see. Please don't ever take your love from me. The warm glow I feel, the warm glow inside. You make me feel so grand, I just cannot hide. My arms are open wide, let me wrap them around. We'll make sweet memories together, our love will astound. We found each other, that is so true. I just want to tell you, I sure do love you. Never felt such a feeling with a woman before. Oh, my sweet darling, it's you I adore. You are my inspiration for these loving words. Let's walk in the sunset. Our love will be heard. Sometimes these words don't always come together. Together we'll be in sun or rainy weather. So now I'll say goodnight, but it won't be goodbye. I'll show you my love or give it a good try. I thought that came up pretty good. Yeah. yeah Excellent. Hallmark is waiting for you, Bill. There you go. There'll be a whole Bill section on the, yeah. on the card right <laughs> now. Yes. Yes. I usually write them early in the morning most of the time or, or, yeah. in, or in the middle of the night. I'm always ready to write the words down. I go by something John Lennon said. He said, when you, when you have an idea for a song, write it down before you forget it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Pat. Okay. What have you got in store for us? Well, something very simple, but something I enjoyed viewing. Sledding. Driving along Route 121 last Saturday, I smiled with immense happiness as I gazed upon the sparkling snow-covered hill, the result of a recent whirlwind snowstorm. Gleeful children dotted the steep, wide slope, either lugging their sleds and sauces to the top or sliding with impressive speed to the bottom. Watchful parents oversaw the fun. If a snapshot were taken and placed next to Norman Rockwell's painting, Winter Days, the scenes would be nearly identical. Flashback to the early 1950s. My father would take me sledding at the local golf club. Long, steep hills were a dream as I and a plethora of children careened down those hills at top speed. Parents kept an attentive eye on the action from above as the children trudged up the hill, wooden, flexible flyers in tow. Despite our mothers wrapping us up like mummies in heavy winter outerwear, the cold, wet snow still managed to soak our mittens and find its way into our boots, chilling us to the bone. But I didn't care. The adrenaline rush from whizzing down that hill and occasionally being airborne as I flew over icy bumps didn't curtail my excitement. I wonder, nearly 70 years later, do the children whom I saw on that hill have as much fun as we did? 
I'm sure they do. Despite the advantages of technology available today and the myriad of television programs also available to them today, children are still children who enjoy life adventures. When the cold turns cheeks a bright red, the snow makes mittens soggy and fingers numb, and the anticipation of the delight of a steaming mug of hot cocoa awaiting. The day is perfect and joyous. Oh, the wonder of childhood laughter and the simplicity and the beauty of flying down a steep slope has not changed throughout seven decades. Children still and always will bring joy to our hearts. Oh, Pat, I was there. I was right. It brought me yep. there. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was bombing down Floyd Street again. <laughs> <laughs> used to put orange cones at the end of certain streets. Right. Yeah, they did that with us, too. I lived, yeah. uh, I lived in the city at the time, and our street was perfect for it, a long, straight slope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What we yeah. called in New England a flexible flyer. Flexible yeah. flyer. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what a Nantucket sleigh ride is? What's that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You hold on to a car that's going by. Oh. <laughs> yes. yes. Go for a real ride. <laughs> that's a real ride, yep. Lots of memories, lots of fun had for all, for sure. I'll let you folks continue. I'm going to go get the sled now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A key key question though, we uh -huh. mentioned the sleds and the flyers. Who had the who was the first one to get a saucer? Oh yeah. Oh, those I don't guys. even remember. I don't think I ever did. No, I never had one, no. Uh, we had a steering wheel sled, had had a steering wheel on it. Thank you for such a nice memory, Pat. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for your kind words. So Alice. Well, my story today is the best of the breed. My husband, Leo, said he was best of the breed. I thought he was cute. Made me laugh, but most of all, he was good company. Who am I talking about? Well, my adorable black and white 10-pound Shih Tzu, of course, with the greatest of names, Pookie. I can't take credit for the name. His first owner was the creative one. Pookie was five years old when I first met him. I had called a local shelter and described the type of dog I wanted, a small lap dog, good personality, and already trained. The woman at the other end of the telephone told me about such a dog whose owner was giving her dog away. Her daughter and granddaughter were coming to live with her. The little one was crawling, and the owner thought Pookie, feeling territorial, might object to the baby on his turf. The next moment I was calling the woman in an adjoining town to see her dog. I immediately fell in love with Pookie. He had an adorable face, huge black eyes, cupid shaped mouth and pug nose. Pookie had a good set of lungs, which became evident upon meeting him. But at the same time, his tail wagged feverishly and his body did a dance that would compete with the Beyonce video. After that visit, Pookie was mine. His former owner and I worked out the details 
and I picked up Pookie several days later. My dog came with his feeding dish, leash, a yellow tennis ball, and a green frog that must have squeaked at one time. The plastic frog lasted for a couple more years. Pookie's intense chewing split it. One day I caught my dog eating the plastic. When I took the frog away from Pookie, I kept it in a cabinet for a while, lest he'd be upset over his loss. Pookie didn't seem to notice. His former owner called me a couple weeks into my dog's new home. The woman told me her children were upset that she had given Pookie away. This was a tough decision, but I chose to keep Pookie. Pookie loved the outdoors, and when I took him for walks, he would strut his stuff. People we met during our pilgrimage would admire him, and he would bask in the attention. He often stopped during the walks and would lie down, not budging until he was ready. At 10 pounds, I could pick him up and carry him. Shih Tzus do have short legs, after all. I always knew when my dog was going to do his business because he started walking on the curb. He fell off occasionally. I must admit I did smile when that happened. A couple of years after my husband passed away, I sold my house and bought a condo. There were so many changes for me at the time. I was looking for a job, and since I had been taking care of my husband for years, I found the task daunting. And then there was a packing and the chore of discarding, since I would be in a smaller place. When I moved to my condo with Pookie, I was too busy moving in, finding items and boxes that would carry me into the next day, such as sheets and blankets, to notice how my dog was doing. Many boxes filled the second bedroom, and I wondered where I was going to put my treasures. After an exhausting day, Pookie and I retired for the evening. My dog always slept at the bottom of the bed, but this night he came right up to the pillow next to mine and curled up. I put my hand on his back for reassurance and wished somebody would comfort me. That night in my new place, I questioned if selling my house had been a good idea and if 10 rooms could possibly fit into five. But most of all, I ached for my husband, whose head for 25 years had been on the pillow where Pookie lay. It was then I thought of the yellow ball and plastic frog Pookie had brought to our house that first day. When I put on his leash, when I fed him, when he chewed through that plastic frog, the smells from the familiar comforted him in his new surroundings. Leo had adored Pookie. Perhaps my dog had settled himself on my husband's pillow for the same reason. I hadn't thought much about what the change of environment would do to Pookie. As I looked at him that first night in my condo, feeling his pain as I felt mine, I realized then this dog was my plastic frog. I drifted off to sleep with new resolve, my hand still on Pookie's back. When I awakened the next day, Pookie did not budge. Oh no, I thought I killed him with a move. But after feeling his belly, I knew he was still breathing, just wasn't ready to get up. Eventually I heard Pookie jump off the bed 
and he joined me at breakfast. The rest of the day, and he and I proceeded to get acquainted with our new home. The reaction of my neighbors to Pookie was overwhelmingly positive, with condo owners patting and talking to him, giving him treats, all with my approval, of course. Pookie loved to chase his yellow ball and bring it back to me. But I soon learned that one didn't take it from his mouth because Pookie would growl. Instead, you waited until he dropped the ball in front of you. Then you were permitted to pick it up and throw it again. One evening, my kids were over the condo. We decided on Chinese. Many boxes filled the kitchen table. My plate was overflowing as I went into the living room to sit down. I didn't see Pookie, and he didn't see my plate as he jumped in my lap as he always did. My daughter, thinking I would be mad, said he didn't know you had food there. I wasn't upset. In fact, I couldn't stop laughing. It didn't take long for Pookie to consume the egg for young and fried rice. Statistics tell us that people are happier and live longer having a pet. You won't get any argument from me. Pookie and I lived in harmony for many years. I was his caregiver as I had been my husband's. One day, Pookie didn't appear to be himself. I took him to the vet who told me Pookie's 15-year-old heart was tired. He gave my dog two weeks. Pookie, however, lasted three. That final day, he wouldn't take his heart pills and just lay on the floor, his face between his paws. I called the vet. He said it was my dog's time. It was Saturday and the vet's office was open half a day. He told me to bring Pookie in just before the office closed. I called my children to give them the news, for they loved the dog, too. My daughter came up to drive me to the vets with Pookie. I didn't ask her. She wanted to comfort me and be with me. At the vets, Pookie had two injections, and the doctor told me the dog's breathing was labored, and it would only be a matter of minutes. I leaned over my companion and said, thank you for being my dog. Afterward, the vet said Pookie was lucky to have had me as his mother. Funny, I would have said the reverse. Back at the condo, there were tears in my neighbor's eyes uh, when she knew Pookie was gone. A woman who lived next door to me, which I, who I had differences with, the same, loves the dog, not the neighbor. I had Pookie cremated and his ashes are on my mantle along with his leash. Yes, my husband was right. Pookie was the best of the breed. Well done. That was beautiful. We all should have a Pookie somewhere in our lives. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, given the holiday season, wrap it up a little bit with a look forward. Back in 1914, I began writing about my pseudo-holiday. January 1 for me is called Putter Day, not New Year's Day. Putter Day presumes that I will spend the first day of the year doing my best to be productive, to get a jump on the year. Uh, this was written in 1916 for that Putter Day. I bid the New Year welcome. 
Dateline, My House, Friday, 2016, January the 1st, 7 a.m. I am puttering. Putter Day 2016 is upon us, and yes, I putter as I type this. Today I will fix a loose kitchen cabinet door, pack away a bunch of Christmas stuff, tidy up the office, tidy up my email list, do a bunch of other lingering odds and ends, launch a New Year's resolution or two, wish me luck on that. My annual January 1st putter day is about getting a productive jump on the year ahead. That's how I own my new year. I hope that in your own way, you get to own yours. I note that next year, 2017, my putter day falls on a Sunday. Not sure what that means. Perhaps all the puttering and tinkering counts double for combining a Sunday and a holiday. One can hope, and we shall see. In the meantime... To all, a bright new year filled with only wonderful memories. With that, definitely a bright new year ahead in 2021. I think with the vaccine, everybody's hopeful. Absolutely. And Tom Mercer was closing off the council meeting and then is also his other recap interview that I did with him. And he said, may the vaccines be plentiful in 2021. Uh-huh. That was a happy thought. Did you notice that Congress, who never passes anything, immediately got their vaccine? You know, we had a glimpse of how fast they can move sometimes. Suddenly the naysayers were not neighing so much anymore. Absolutely. As we recorded this, uh, I note that uh, here, it, for us, it's just before Christmas, which means that We have just gone past the shortest day and longest night of the year. Yes. So with that, we are seeing the lengthening of days and light. And in that spirit, hopefully the new year will shine upon us all. I'm thinking the next person we want to hear from might just be Joe Ewald. Go for it, Joe. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Pete. I want to say, first of all, um, thank you and Steve for hosting the show. And also I am very lucky to have a writer's group that I have now. Um, sometimes it's not the stories, but the people in the group that you write with. So um, I want to mention that. Um, and uh, also special prayers for Al and Miss Belcher. And it's Carol Belcher, and uh, they're in the. They're, they're not doing good right now, um, so we we say our prayers for them. And uh, so um, here we go. Um, I, for literature, um, I'm starting with the night before Christmas, and and you should know this pretty well, Bill, because uh, it's a poem written by Clement Moore, so everybody gets a chance to read that. It's great. It's a little kid's poem, but it it can uh, affect adults, too. And then, of course, the gift of the Magi, written by O. Henry, about the couple that sacrifice everything for each other. And that's a great story. Um, uh, So if you get a chance, read the gift of the Magi by O. Henry. Then we move on. Uh, When I was a little kid, I, I love having a fire. You know, uh, uh, in the fireplace, and uh, my my dad used to say um, we we had them like <laughs> numbered. The smallest one was one, then two, three, four. Of course, being the biggest, so we we got firewood for that. 
and we got real, real pine uh, for Christmas decorations. And the smell of that is great. It's just the only thing that dries up eventually, but we always got that. Plus, my nativity scene is uh, probably about 70 years old. It's made out of ceramic tile, and it's a 15-piece set. And uh, I have that on display now with the real pine. And then uh, we have the old-fashioned Christmases, <laughs> which I would love to do one day, but I don't know if I will, is ride in a one-horse open sleigh. And um, uh, my grandfather, one year, uh, cut down uh, a Christmas tree in Central Park. <laughs> so I don't, so he got away with that. And then I want to mention, uh, uh, you know, Christmas time to me is a time of giving, obviously. And, uh, you know, uh, I always try to give to the to Salvation Army and the Toys for Tots, which is run by the Marines. And, of course, always, you know, you got Midnight Mass. I don't know if that's possible this year. But um, uh, we'll be there in spirit um, anyways. Lots of luck in Attleboro is having a Christmas display. So that might be worthwhile to check out. So um, that covers it uh, for me, basically. And, and of course, uh, birthday is uh, Jesus Christ. And the word Christ is in the word Christmas. So that's a start. We, we celebrate uh Jesus' birthday, um, not Santa's birthday. <laughs> so uh, that's what people should focus on. And uh, uh, that's all I have to say. And, and thank you again for giving me the opportunity uh, to speak my piece. And Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy New Year for everybody. There you go. Well said, Bill. Well said. Joe, well said, Joe, well said. Were you into that eggnog a little early today, Pete? I might, might be the case, might be the case. I'm not talking. <laughs> and with and La that, Salette is open through January 3rd. Yeah, I've never been there, so um, one of these years I'm going to try to get there. So. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible to see it. It's supposed to be really illuminating, to say the least. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Need a rim shot over here. <laughs> he, he, he needed to shed a little light on that one. Oh. <laughs> With all that, once again, we bid you a fond farewell till our next episode. And in the meantime, hopefully you'll get a happy and productive launch to your own new year. This is the Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter J. Steve Sherlock. Faith Clarity. Alice Judge. I'm Bill Wiley. Pat Miniarski. I'm Joe Ewald. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.